Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. So hi, everybody. I, you know, I, I'm going to be having a, a very deep and interesting conversation with two women that um, I, I've received their book and I've seen their work and, and because it's a visual book, you guys, and I am just so honored to have these young women here with me today. And because the title of the book, and then I'll introduce them, is called Infertilities, A Curation. You guys see that? So I want to welcome Maria Novotin. How do you say her name? Maria Novotny. Novotny. That's what I said before I opened my mouth. Shoot. <laughs> and Robin Silverbleed. How do you say? Silverbleed. Okay. Note to self, we do those things before I hit record. <laughs> um, all right, but we're just going to go through this. This book that you guys put together is a result of having done uh, years of um, connecting with other women and men, other people that have gone through the experience of infertility, how it's impacted their lives, and things like that. <clears throat> So, um, you guys briefly, if one of you wants to explain a bit about the statistics of infertility, because it is, and you stated in your book, right? You stated in your book. Wait, I want to read something from your book first. Sorry. <laughs> okay. This is, I, because I loved it and it's very, um, inclusive in terms of what your conversation is in this book. Mm -hmm. Infertility begins slowly, quietly, with questions and uncertainty. Infertility begins with a growing awareness that maybe making a family won't be easy. Won't happen after a month or three or maybe even a year. Infertility with the choice to have is with the choice to have a child begins with the choice to have a child. Infertility begins in the doctor's office with tests and diagnostic codes. Infertility begins with sex. Infertility begins with asking a friend to donate sperm. Infertility begins with the arrival of blood each month. A new cycle might yield optimism and possibility. A new medication, a first insemination, a first attempt at IVF, the selection of an egg donor or gestational carrier. Each treatment cycle can work or not. The written and visual art in this section or in this entire book presents emotional beginnings, individuals wrestling with diagnosis and what it means to build family in various contexts. So I wanted to read that because, um, and I got chills. I got chills all over because it really kind of sums up in a short way, a very profound way, um, experiences that a lot of people have had, and they're not all the same experiences, right? Mm -hmm. 
So let's talk about the stats of infertility first, if you got whoever wants to jump in. Robin, do you want to go? Oh, sure, sure. I'll 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 start. Um, so I mean, what what we've been saying is when we put this book together, which has been a process, right? The kind of dominant statistic that was used by the World Health Organization um, was that one in eight couples, right, um, deal with infertility, and that statistic has been recently thankfully updated um, to one in six individuals globally, which does some work to acknowledge that um, some individuals who experience infertility are not, in fact, in a heterosexual couple, right? Um, so our book, you know, as as you indicated, right, tries to incorporate the experiences of um, single individuals, LGBTQ individuals, right? So the, the people who wouldn't have been acknowledged were included right. in the original one in eight um, statistic. But we also know that even to be counted, right, in the current one in six, like you need to go to a doctor's office or somebody needs to be doing, right, that um, kind of statistical um, analysis. So there's undoubtedly many other individuals right, who aren't even included in that one in six because they haven't even begun the process or can't begin the process of, of trying to build a, a family, right, um, through uh, artificial um, or, you know, assisted means. So right. I guess yeah. that's the kind of quickest answer. I don't know, Maria, if you want to add to that. No, I mean, and I think it's really important, as I was saying, to underline how one in six is it's just an incomplete statistic like it's it's wonderful that it got updated within the period of us working on this book um but we we simply know that it is, does not represent everyone simply because access to care around infertility is an an issue of equity it's a health equity issue um and i would also add one other statistic that I think is important to also pair with infertility is one that's less diagnostic and physical, like physical with the body. And that's one that is in the preface that Elizabeth writes about 61% mm -hmm. of, of women, I believe, um, often don't share their, their experience of infertility or it's difficult for them to disclose that. Mm -hmm. And so, that I think also speaks to the emotional weight that is this book, um, because it's really representing the, the emotional journey and process of what it's like to not only come to an infertility diagnosis, but to really just live with infertility and what, what living with infertility means. Like, even if you have found quote unquote success, um, it's something that doesn't go away. It's not something that's ever fully resolved and that's right do right so it, this you guys this is this book is a curation of artwork of poetry of just written words written statements in order that many of these people that have god bless them all and you guys for your vision uh have experienced something very deep very profound and very painful and like um, 
like Maria was just saying, it's not something that people share and they, mm-hmm. and, and, and they don't share it because it, at least for women, because it feels shameful that I, I, I am ashamed. I can't conceive. Right. Yeah. I think th- there's a lot of identity work. I think that's underlining in the book, um, associations of femininity with fertility. And mm-hmm. so I when those don't align, I, you know, real feelings of failure of of trying to renegotiate what one's own identity is with with femininity if they if they do identify as female but then i think at the counterpoint too is i mean men also have their own struggle right because there are not nearly as many support groups for instance for men but also there's so much of masculinity and in the introduction i think we talk about i you know notions of pulling the goalie, for instance, right? And having that be a celebratory type of, you know, joking in more male type of circles, right? And friendships. So it, while a lot of the experiences represented in the book are female, we do also try to really represent male experiences, but then also just trans experiences as well, or, you know, LGBTQ queer perspectives that, again, are interested in kind of playing with the idea of of gender and sexuality, but also mixed in with family and what it means to create a family. Robin, would you add anything? No, I mean, I, I, I well, no, I, did, I, I think that's right. I mean, one of the things that we talk about in the introduction to the book, right, is that infertility is, is many, many, many things, right? I mean, infertility is is a disease, right? That is kind of recognized by the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? For for example, um, it is a profound, life changing, life altering experience. It is an emotional journey, and and yes, right? It affects, I think, everyone's identity in different kinds of of ways, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because it, it it it's an intersectional experience, right? So one comes at it in a particular body that has a particular gender identity and racial identity and class, right? Identity, um, religious identity, and all those things. And you know, that's just to name a few. And all of those identities are um, kind of intersecting with the infertility experience, right? Right. So let if if I may, let's back up just a little bit because sure. um, you guys worked on this book during pandemic, but prior, this was um, a, an art exhibit that uh, traveled around the country. Did it go internationally as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so this was an art exhibit that people could come into, and I'm a big museum person. I got to go and stand in front of a piece of art to to just feel my feelings about it. Right. And, uh, so, so moving it from, uh, in, in essence, a uh, uh, in-person interactive kind of experience and formatting it into a book is a whole nother, uh, thing that happens. And I got to tell tell you everybody just opening this book, um, looking at the, the artwork, reading the poetry and, and the written word, is is so moving and um and we as well i want to say we as a culture but you guys know better than me we 
because we don't talk about those intimate details, you know, I mean, some people, I mean, I don't, I don't share my intimate sexual details with any of my friends, you know, let alone a doctor, let alone, you know, people I don't know. So to have this be so um, deep in wanting something like a family, a child, and not, and doing everything it takes, every, most, a lot of people I know, I have a, a few friends, did everything it took. And some, and it didn't take, you know, for some people. Um, so you guys started this uh, art exhibit, um, this curation as coming out of support groups of people that are, are or were or did experience infertility and needed to have some way to heal. So explain how, uh, how that can help people doing writing or um, creating art can help people heal. Yeah, so you're really spot on with saying how this book even came to be. I mean, the book wouldn't have happened without the numerous exhibitions um, and and general response that we received. I mean, Elizabeth did the first exhibit back in I believe 2013, and it was it was a smaller intimate exhibit that featured work from her peer-led support group. Um, and at the time it was really meant as a way for those individuals to really honor their experiences and have form, form a community that would be a little bit more aware about what those experiences were. But I met Elizabeth at the same time that that first show was debuting. Um, and there were really little plans or path forward to actually continue the project. And so um, I went and I, I viewed the first exhibit and I was astonished. I was like, this is amazing as someone with my own infertility experience, as someone who was running a support group in a different part of the state, I knew that its impact was, was beyond, I think, what even Elizabeth had intended to create. Mm -hmm. um, and so in, in doing that, um, I think that they're really, we were able to meet so many other individuals who would happen upon the exhibits and also feel its impact and really, um, again, express the need and the desire to contribute a piece of their work to be part of this larger, now archival type of project where we have over, you know, 200 pieces of art. And so we also began then hosting um, art and writing types of, of workshops. And what we really found was that so much, like you were saying, Susan, of the infertility experience is trying to throw, honestly, like the kitchen sink at anything to see what will work. You know what I mean? Trying for some sort of success to happen, no matter what cost, what take it might have on your finances, on your own personal relationships, on your own mental health. Um, and that can be really isolating, really painful because so many other people, right, don't have to deal with that agony of family building. You know, they can drink a, you know, share a bottle of wine and have a nice night. And nine months later, you have, you know, the child that you were hoping for. Um, that's simply just not the case with infertility. And so with making in particular, and I'll let Robin speak to the writing part in a minute, but the idea of like actually using your hands and your body to just compose 
something else. I think what we found is, was really productive, not only in terms of sitting in a room with other people who also had a shared experience and to be able to know that you weren't alone in that, but also just using your body to create something in a moment when you were very frustrated with your body because you couldn't create the very thing you wanted to actually produce. Um, and so that also became, I think, a really healthy outlet and process um, of simply, again, using art as a space to bring in community, to reduce isolation, but also to form intuitive connections with your body about about um, the frustrations it was experiencing. And Robin, you, sh you should say more about writing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I think too, I mean, one, one of the other, and then I guess angles that has come out as we've been hosting workshops, but it's also represented in the, you know, in, in the book itself is the ways that um, telling your story, right, as an individual, whether you tell that story through poetry or through personal narrative or, or visual art, right, is, is another mode of personal storytelling is a way of also reclaiming um, an experience that has been highly medicalized, right? If you have to go to the doctor's office in order to to have a baby, um, and so I guess I'll I'll just give a couple, um, I mean, concrete examples from you know from the project. Um, for me, one of the most moving pieces of visual art in the book, and there are many, um, is uh, one of the last. Uh, it's it's a, by our our collaborator, our co-editor Elizabeth um, Warren, and it's called "Crib with Medication Boxes," right? And so it is it is a crib um, that was specially made um, to be you know miniaturized, but it it houses, of course, not a child, right? But thousands of dollars worth of empty medication boxes. Yeah, thank you, Susan, for holding that up. Um, and so that that's a, a really, I mean, moving way of of rewriting and reclaiming her experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've got a poem in the book. I think it's called Infertility Patient or maybe Fertility Patient. The title's changed a couple times, but on it's in two columns. And one column is a series of um, insurance diagnostic codes. Right. And on the other side is, is personal narrative. And that's meant to just put in conversation. This is what my medical chart says. This is what I was actually experiencing. And there are, you know, there are other many other pieces, I think, in the book that do that kind of reclaiming, rewriting um, work, which is really profound. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I just wanted to say um, what I, I appreciate you talked about Elizabeth's work too because I can imagine standing in the room looking at that crib it would just undo me undo mm -hmm. me you know I can just so part of this um, healing exhibit it it seems to me is not just to uh, share with each other uh, you know other people that have gone through infertility but it's a it's a huge awakening, mm -hmm. I think. It's an education. It's a um, a statement. And when you say one and six now, you know, yeah. it's a statement that this isn't it isn't something that happens in the quiet in the dark and and you have to do it alone. It's a, it's a statement. 
that that hopefully will educate those of us that don't really haven't experienced infertility about how devastating it is. And so, uh, Maria, you said it's a it's a it's a or maybe Robin that it's a disease, right? Um, I doubt that people that haven't experienced infertility would label it that, do you know, or that it's a disability. I, I, if they are, if we are educated, you know, it's just, oh, well, so they just couldn't have a baby. You know what I mean? It's like, there's those people out there that can look at it that way and diminish, uh, an experience or several experiences, um, in one life, uh, that I would imagine doesn't ever go away. The emotions, the trauma, the wounding, I would imagine it doesn't really go away. No, I mean, there's there's a a lot, I think, um, Susan, in in what you just said. um, I I guess I want to circle back to the education part of it because that's that's definitely one of the kind of missions right of of this book is to take these experiences that have been silenced or taboo or just not really talked about explicitly and you know um in public settings and and make sure that um that we're correcting myths Right. And kind of re-educating about this is what infertility really is. This is what who infertility affects. Right. Um, it's not just older white women, um, for example. But the if we take that statistic, right, that one in six individuals globally has infertility. That means every one of us, whether or not we have personally experienced, knows someone who has. We might not know that we know because people aren't talking about it. And so, you know, what does it mean to just have our book potentially sitting in a doctor's office waiting room? Is the person who needs to see it might get a chance to see it. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and I, I just, I'm sorry, I wanted to add one one other thing for a real life anecdote of, of the education, because also I think around infertility, part of Part of, I think, why there's the, the disconnects, right, between understanding this as a disease and the real impact it has emotionally um, and physically and financially on a person is because so so much of reproductive health education focuses on controlling your mm-hmm. your fertility and this idea, right, that girls can be empowered to choose when they want to have their child. Um, and so then the idea of, of then coming into contact with it with an experience that suggests otherwise that actually you haven't been in control or you're going to need assistance can I think that's where a lot of the um struggle with identity comes into play of like I've always been told I was this female fertile person that should protect your fertility and now I'm not and I say that because that that's also I think what this exhibit is trying to do is um to it introduce these ideas, especially Robin and I are both college professors. So introduce these ideas to younger people, even before they might be, you know, trying to have a family. Um, and and I say this really meaningfully because we have an exhibit up right now in Milwaukee. That's another portion of this book. And my four-year-old daughter was there for the first time 
helping me because I just needed her to be in, in the space so I could set up the exhibit. And we have this one piece that has all of these needles um, on a decoupage um, stomach, essentially, with an ultrasound right in the middle. And I wasn't even thinking about her seeing that content, but she said to me, Mama, why are all these needles in the in the tummy of this of this person? And I said to her, oh, well, you know, sometimes mamas need a lot of medicine in order to actually have a baby. Sometimes that's what has to happen. And my daughter, I was able to form my daughter through adoption. And I said, and you know, mama couldn't take all that medicine and I couldn't, that didn't work for me. So that's why you were in someone else's tummy. And then you got to be in my arms. Um, and I said, do you have more questions? And she goes, oh no, that's okay. But at, at that moment, <laughs> I I was just so struck because I did not actually anticipate having that moment with her whatsoever. But I thought, you know what, if I'm teaching a four-year-old right now that he might need to understand what fertility is, I'm doing a, a, this, this is doing the job that this exhibit is trying to do in some capacity. And, and so I say that because also, Susan, we will get requests sometimes to censor our work. They sometimes individuals won't want um, a lot of graphic, graphic imagery that might have needles or have a lot of blood. But I do think, and I think my child... I'm not I'm not that radical of a mother, but I do think that experience points to the fact that really showing the, the embodiment of it and not trying to censor what is infertility um, and the visual representation of it is really important because because people can handle it as long as you frame that conversation and you have the facts. I ab I absolutely support you, and I absolutely agree. And and I just me being me, whoever said you need to censor it needs to go <laughs> yeah I mean, well, yeah because it because oh my god this opens up a whole nother kettle of fish for me because when we continue to censor uh what or um redact mm -hmm. you know uh what women have experienced currently or in the past if we continue to do that we're still promoting a lie we're promoting, uh, 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 oh, all sorts of other doors that that I really would love to see closed. You know, like abuse and and um, and shame. You know, to yeah. you know, this sounds like this is escorts um, people who haven't experienced uh, infertility into different um, rooms if you will by looking at the in individual images and reading the words um where they can have their own personal feeling about this it kind of this sounds terrible you guys i don't please forgive me if, but what i'm hearing is it's kind of like walking through a holocaust museum where you see and you feel and you connect with individuals who have gone through huge suffering and it's important it, especially like in the term in terms of your daughter Maria because the next generation if this if this statistic is continuing to grow bigger you know what I mean then it's it's another it's the next level of sex education right now right. don't do it right now you know my mother's my mother's generation she was told to put an aspirin between her legs you know keep her knees together that kind of thing right but she was also, uh, when she got her period, it was on a public bus and she came home 
drenched in blood and thought she was dying, you know, yeah. and, and my yeah. grandmother just didn't yeah. even talk about it. So yeah. this is the next level of educating not just young women, but young men too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, I mean, I I hadn't heard Maria's story about her daughter, but I mean, I have a, you know, a, a similar one with, uh, with my son who is, you know, now 11 um, and, you know, just went through and clearly knows, right, his own origin story, but also just went through, you know, sex ed in the public schools. And I made sure that we had a conversation, right, a, a very explicit conversation about um, infertility and, and reproductive loss and, you know, and, and all those kinds of things. But I mean, so much of elementary and middle school sex ed operates under the assumption that one will get pregnant very easily, right? And so the possibility that you can't as a girl, as as a boy, for whatever reason, you know, that, that needs to be part of the conversation too, very early on. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that everything, so that there is a broader perspective as they enter into this whole uh, pubescent experience, which, oh boy, yeah. isn't that just fun. Um, uh, so, but with what you were just saying, um, Robin, there is, it feels to me like there's also this, okay, hold on. It's about how much kickback, pushback have you guys received with these exhibits and the book from people who um who they don't want to talk about it with their family or their because they just don't even talk about sex do you see what i'm saying they don't even have the conversation right or um i'm really holding my tongue you guys are really uh but you know those people that are fearful that your experience might be contagious do you know what i mean like you know it used to be in my mother's generation that they thought that if you got pregnant it was contagious and other people around you could get pregnant did you guys ever hear that story no you know no that's that that's that's bananas i mean i maria might maria might have a have a different take um on this i mean i i I guess i have i haven't personally with our work experienced what you're calling as pushback like I you know I don't want to hear that like most folks are genuinely grateful right to Good. um to entertain it but certainly when we were when we began the process of shopping the book around looking for a publisher there was like mm, do people really want to read about infertility like that on um, that level right just being concerned about the potential marketability of a project like this um was sort of a- astonishing to me. Um, so, you know, uh, credit to our our publisher at Wayne State, who, you know, they they were willing to take this on and really imagine the project with us in, I think, really powerful ways. So, yeah, I, I would agree with Robin. Like, the pushback we've gotten, like I said, Susan, has been around, like, the censoring of, depending upon where we are in exhibit, like, in gallery spaces, if it's a family-centered space, there's certain things they don't want to see. Or we've been in some like religious-affiliated spaces, and they want to censor certain things as well. 
Um, but that put aside, I do think some of the some of the pushback, which I think is ironic given the purpose of what our book is trying to do, is that infertility is still not taken seriously because of all the misconceptions that remain out there. Like it is, it's like, well, this is not really not people not understanding again the statistics of it, how many people are impacted of it, and this myth that it's still a white woman's disease, which is just like not the truth at all. Um, and that's a lot of the ways in which our book, because of infertilities, because of our purposeful intention on diversity, diversity in terms of not just race and ethnicity and having men and women and, you know, same sex uh, or LGBTQ, like queer individuals participating in it, but like diversity also just in the range by which one comes to an infertility diagnosis. I mean, you can experience endometriosis or have PCOS and that might cause right infertility or you might have like a male factor or have azospermia, right? And have no sperm and that might be part of it. And so what we're really trying to do again with that is just present and curate the spectrum that is infertility. Hence, really, again, the, the plurality and the intentional plurality of the title of the book, Infertilities. Um, I was sharing with Robin for a different conversation we were having, but in my work in rhetoric, rhetoric studies has looked at infertility and has traced kind of like the lineage of it. So, you know, back in biblical times, barren is what would be referred to infertility. Then you have sterility, which is more of like a medicalization of it. And then infertility came about right with more biomedicine and the birth of baby Louise, which was the first IVF baby. And I really think what we're trying to do with this book is push that one step further um, to thinking about the infertilities, all the different ways that one comes to that diagnosis, but also the ways in which one comes to a resolution because like you said, Susan, not everyone, even if you throw the kitchen sink at it, your resolution may not be a take-at-home baby. It might be something else. Right, right. Uh, and, oh, you know, for those those people out there that really want to have children, it, I just want to say, however you get there, if you have that love that you want to give and share with another individual a child, then it doesn't really matter if you do it the old fashioned way. You know, it doesn't, it just doesn't because, um, I have one son, he's 30 and he just got married and they're considering kids and, um, God, it gets me if they could never have children, you know, and what they would have to go through, like you guys have to then bring a baby home. Um, you know, it's it's what you would not wish on anybody, but it's so important to understand that it happens to so many. It's also like when so many women have miscarriages and they don't talk about it because they're embarrassed. You know, it, it, it's just a, it's just it's just what happened. You know, but when and you start doing your very about it, yeah, you know, like one in four women have had a miscarriage, and then when you know that statistic, you're like, oh wait. Or if you start, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, that's fine. I think it's so I think what you're saying is so correct because once people, if you say, well, I actually can't have kids or, you know, I'm infertile, suddenly once that disclosure is made, often you have these different types of conversations as if like you open up the door to a secret room 
and people feel like they can share something. Sometimes helpful, sometimes not helpful. Um, But it's amazing the new types of discourses that happen simply by mentioning that. Would you agree, Robin? I see you're shaking your head. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, definitely. Right. And that's, I mean, part of the part of the the work of our project is 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 you know functioning as a metaphorical key right to to open one of those doors um you know but i i, I was thinking too uh i'm thinking back right um to the beginning susan of of your comment there about oh the various ways right that that families can come together right um and I think part of the the work of of our project is demonstrating the multiple, not only the multiple ways that families can come together, right? I mean, we have stories in in the collection, um, families by by way of adoption, families by way of um, you know donor egg, donor sperm, um, donor embryo, gestational surrogacy, like the the entire that you know they they run the gamut, and those. Are of course happy endings, right? Success stories in a kind of traditional way of thinking about, yeah, as Maria said, having a a, a take home baby, right? Um, but none of those stories necessarily are are where those those families thought they would land, right? And it's a the right. process is constantly okay. I said I wasn't going to do IVF. But okay, now I will do IVF. IVF doesn't work out, so okay, I'll try, um, you know, a gestational carrier. Oh, that didn't work. I will try adoption. And the constant, um, the constant rerouting and rethinking and just being pushed by the experience. Um, but we do have, I mean, contributors who who don't have what we would traditionally understand as success, right? Who remain child free kind of by choice not really by choice right um and to what extent do they accept that as as an ending or is it an ongoing you know process of negotiation so right um and negotiation within themselves right yeah 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 ab- absolutely i mean you had said somewhere very early in our conversation you know that that it it as we talk about it's a lifelong experience. I mean, I can certainly testify to that, right? I, I have an 11-year-old. I have a 19-year-old. I mean, that that's a success story. But I mean, very still, very much still identify as a person, right, with infertility and still you know, wrestle with what that means. So, yeah. um, Yeah. I know, uh, you know, when I grew up in the 70s and, you know, in 80s, and I had friends that had abortions, right? Mm-hmm. Multiple abortions, and then were so fearful um, that they would never be able to have children, you know. And so, it, those those choices, and and the the I, I'm thinking of this one friend who she had two kids um, once she was committed in a committed relationship, um, but the abortions still are her one of her grieving points still. You know, um, so whatever it is that we undergo, and if we, if there's no place to um, share and be seen and heard while you're in grief or 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 
frustration or anger or fear or whatever, you can't be seen and heard and share that story. Um, it, it just kind of turns in on it, on yourself, you know, and, and, and it's, it's not healthy, not healthy. So I have uh, one last question. Um, I was going to read another poem, but I, I, I want to end on an up note because this one hit me. Uh, so I don't want to read it now <laughs> um, because it's just so powerful. Um, it, it's the one by Betty Doyle, The Mozart Effect. So if you guys get this book, anybody listening, if you get this book, look at that poem because it's 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 uh, amazing. It's, it's yeah. amazing. It's, well, they all are. I mean, I anything, any uh, artwork I've opened up to, I'm like, whoa. And then... And the other great thing that you guys have is you, there's the companion explanation for the art, yeah. you know. So somebody's looking at at. Um, oh, I'll just show this one because this one grabbed me, and then I read about it. This one is about it's called a one pill, two pill, red red pill, blue pill, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's like you know, very clever uh, take on a Doctor Seuss book, right? Yeah. Very yeah. smart, very intentional and then she talks about how she had to take all of these different kinds of pills over years and where it just got all where it started out as a a, a very um regular schedule very organized and after a while it just was like a mess and this become this looks a little messy now Mm -hmm. um so you guys uh robin and maria who if, if you, who would you see this, whose hands would you see this book going into? Like Christmas is coming. Is this a Christmas gift? Well, I do. I do actually think it is a Christmas gift. Um, and I actually would put forth that most people would be like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. So I have a friend and I know she's having trouble. I'd buy it for for my friend. And I think that's an option. But I also would really encourage people who have gone through infertility um, who has some of those experiences to think about what it would mean to give the book perhaps to a family member or a friend who has really tried, I think, to be a support system for them. But, you know, if you're not going through it, it's really hard, I think, to know what you're going through. I mean, you just right. can't be in those shoes. And I would really suggest as it being like a, a thank you gift even to be like, you know, I know you were there for me or tried to be, or at least tried to be there for me when I went through this IVF. You know, here's a book that might give you a little bit more insight into what I've been going through. And also just thank you for trying to be there with me. I know it was probably hard for you. It's hard for me, but I'm glad we're still friends. I mean, because infertility can impact relationships without a doubt. Your family members, um, it can be really difficult you know, if you have a sister, for instance, I've had, I'm the oldest of four sisters. Three of my sisters have had babies since, um, and I'm the one who's infertile. So that's the fun thing I get to live with. And so it can be really difficult to navigate those relationships, right? Especially close personal ones. But I really do think it can be a gift um, that someone, right, who identifies as infertile can give to someone else. That's just like, a, hey, I know you were trying. I know maybe you didn't always say the right thing, but um, I really do appreciate you trying to show up. Robin, yeah. what do you say? Yeah, yeah. And and also, I mean, given the statistic uh, you talked about earlier, right, 61% of individuals experiencing infertility don't disclose it. Um, the book can be a way of disclosing without disclosing, too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not ready 
you know, to tell my personal story, but here, mom, is a book, right, that you might want to um, to read. So the book has meant many intended audiences. It really does. Individuals differently depending on where where they are. I mean, if they're actively going through infertility, it's going to land probably in a very different way than if infertility is sort of more past tense, right, or in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Um We'd also really, I mean, love for um, doctors, nurses, medical professionals, right, to understand perhaps the point of view of their patients in a way that they haven't been able to before. Um, mm-hmm. I, so as you guys were speaking about who would I, who could I gift this book to, um, I have a close uh, group of college friends. We get together every year, have for 40 years. And one person went through IVF and a few other things. Another one chose to be a single mom and did artificial insemination. Another one is a para at risk pregnancy doctor. What's that called? Perinatologist. She's a perinatologist, uh, yeah. and she speaks around the world. Um, uh, you know, and the, and then the rest of my friends in that group, a couple people had miscarriages and things like that. And we're getting together in a couple of weeks. And I think I will get more of your book to give to them because they can appreciate it and then pass it on yeah, to, yeah. to their daughters or sons and and things like that. So okay, where can where can we get the where can we get the book? On Amazon? Is it on Amazon? It it is. Uh, I mean, obviously we want to support independent bookstores when possible. Um, so you can actually also get it online at bookshop.org um or directly through MSU Press. But yes, you can also find it. Wayne State Amazon. University Press. Sorry, oh, sorry. What did I say? You said MSU, but that's okay. Um, Wayne State Wayne. Bookshop or Amazon. Yes. All the places. Okay, so bookshop.org and Wayne State Wayne State University. Yeah. So, um, all right, ladies. Well, Robin and Maria, thank you so much. I I said this before we went on air, but I'm going to say it again. I am deeply humbled and so grateful for the work that you guys have done individually and then collectively in uh, supporting other women who have gone through uh, infertility and then creating something that can be an education piece. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The The writing and the artwork is beautiful. So thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, You're good welcome. Talking with you. Thank you. So I'm just going to end with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanburrell.com. You can... See all the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, A 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website. And just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanborell.com. That's it for today. See you next time.